This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Here comes Sacramento. Three on one. Bagley the step. Bagley with the dunk. And you can put it in the book and send it to the left. There it is. Buddy Hill alone at the top. Of the Kings record book. Oh, I like to see Fox Force 5 in the open court. Fox into the lane. Oh, if you don't like that, you don't like Kings basketball. Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brendan Nunez, and today I'm back with my regular co-host, Rich. How are you doing today, man? I'm doing good, dude. It's uh we're deep in the playoffs. It's a good time to be watching basketball, a good time to be talking about basketball. Uh, we're a week removed from the Walton podcast, and uh, you know it's tough for me sometimes to compartmentalize, but I'm ready to uh, talk about these kings because they deserve to be talked about. And um, you know, when more news comes about that, we'll we'll deal with it. But otherwise, um, yeah, there's a little bit of news, and we can dive into the power forward position here and get to some Q&A as well. Yep. So like you said, starting with some news, we've seen a name thrown around a lot that I know you both, both you and myself are not fans of, but it's getting mentioned by Grant Napier, Carmichael Day, people that usually have some insider info a little bit there. And it kind of makes you think this might happen. And that name's DeAndre Jordan. I mean, what have you been thinking about that? Yeah, I'm not excited about this momentum that is coming behind DeAndre Dor- uh, DeAndre Jordan uh, to the Kings talk. I guess it's just rumors, but you know when Grant Napier and Carmichael Dave, and I've also seen it from Jason Jones of the Athletic, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, James Ham and Sam Amick also confirmed that there is a possibility of interest uh, in DeAndre Jordan this offseason. Um, and when that's all, when all these guys are talking about it, that tells you something. And it's, it's usually a good sign that, that that's for real. Yeah. So when I was kind of hearing this mentioned, I, so I, I tried to call into the Grant Napier and, um, and Doug Christie show. It's an interesting Skype noise there. Yeah, sorry. I, I don't know what's going on. It, you cut out there. Anyways, so that was probably best. Okay, um, we'll edit that. Yeah. So I call into the Grant Napier, Doug Christie show a decent amount now, kind of give me an opportunity to speak to them. And I asked about this DeAndre Jordan thing. And my issue was I really value the spacing from one of these bigs that we're going to be getting because I feel like Fox and Bagley both work really well and excel at getting to the rim. And if the opposing's big is not in there, they're going to be able to score around there. And Grant's argument was, 
Okay, but didn't he do the exact same type thing? Like he was saying that Chris Paul and Blake Griffin were similar similar play style type guys, and they're breaking 50 wins every single year on that Clipper team. I get that, but to me, it's not the same DeAndre Jordan. No, it's not the same DeAndre Jordan, and it's not the same league. I mean, I know we're not that far removed from it, but obviously that didn't work out too well for the Clippers, and, and things have changed you know, really rapidly over the last five years. Uh, and it's accelerating to me still. Um, you know, these playoffs are a great example. I, you look at Steven Adams, the teams with Steven Adams, yeah. uh, Andre Drummond, uh, uh, you know, Rudy Gobert, these super traditional centers, they're no longer in the playoffs and it's only been one round. So, yeah, I, I mean, obviously, the stretchy. We've been we've identified this a long time ago. That's what we want: a big that can shoot. I think we can talk about this a little bit with Nemanja Bjelica when we touch on him later. But that's probably the most desirable trait in a big man, if not, you know, at least top three with rebounding and, and rim protection. And 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 obviously, Jordan would not bring any of that to the table. Yeah, that's exactly that. You know. At very least, for me, it's rim protection and spacing are kind of 1A, 1B. And it's neither one of these. So like, And even the rebounding numbers, I know we both kind of have a friend of ours, Brian, that runs a Mavericks podcast. I got his breakdown a little bit on DeAndre Jordan. And it's just, it's terrible. Like, great rebounding numbers, but it's empty stats that he's getting boards that absolutely anybody could get. It's kind of the same way how we all know Willie Cauley-Stein's a terrible rebounder, but he gets eight boards a game, but on a higher level. And, I mean, just went to New York this year, uh, got traded there. His usage percentage, and his actually his passing has gotten better, but he's the second percentile of turnover percentage, meaning 98% of bigs pass better than him or turnover less than him. The free throw percentage still isn't there. I mean, it's better, but that's from being one of, if not the worst in the league for a while. I just don't see it. It doesn't, it doesn't excite me. I get there's a veteran presence. They like them in New York for that, but I want someone that can actually supply something on the floor too. Wow. That turnover percentage, uh, that's horrific. I had no idea. Is that, are you saying that's just in his time in New York or is that yeah, the whole that's season? only in New York. So, which hasn't been that long. And that's partially because he had a crazy high usage percentage, but they were running him kind of like a low block, kind of almost on the elbow. And he was passing, like I said, he's got a good amount of assists, but I think that since they started trying to use him that way a little more, the turnovers just skyrocketed. Yeah, I kind of, I feel like that's kind of excusable. Obviously not all of it, but I can see, you know, the Knicks not caring about, you know, they're kind of in the tank. And if DeAndre wants to get a little bit flashy and try to make some passes he can't make, I could see that kind of being his inclination. I think, though, the major concern with DeAndre is mental. I don't know. Mental might be the wrong word there, but, you know, it's not. To me, it's not that it's, you know, it's maybe effort based or to me, what it, what DJ would, would scare, what scares me about this is that it's the same issues that Willie Cauley Stein has. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. You know, I think that DeAndre Jordan is a better rebounder. I think he's a much better rim protector, but he doesn't have that top end athleticism and he's much older, obviously. But then the real core of the problem is, is he going to, what's he, what percentage of effort is he going to get, you know, what is he going to leave it out there tonight? Is he going to make smart plays? You know, what are his priorities? Does he want to get paid? Does he want to win? You know, where is his head at? I've heard a lot of rumors of him even coming back to New York, but that would mean taking less money with the fish that the Knicks are going after. But would you uh, tell me if you would agree with this? I kind of think that Ed Davis is almost just a better DeAndre Jordan. Oh, I would love to have Ed Davis. I would, I mean, (laughs) there's no question. And I mean, I think that the salary that DeAndre Jordan could command, especially from the Kings who are really – uh, have a terrible track record of overpaying, you know, big name or bigger name type of guys. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if the Kings offered 20 million to DeAndre Jordan. Um, obviously, they're That's not going to offer some. Yeah, I know, but it, doesn't that feel like a possibility? Yes, but I don't want to say <laughs> yes. I mean, uh even but even if that I mean that's a kind of a high estimate. Even if it's fifteen, that's still a, a I hope pretty we're talking one year. Yeah, yeah. I I think that I mean honestly. Okay, so what did they offer? What did they give George Hill? I know that the third year was non guaranteed or or almost completely non guaranteed, but they offered him twenty million a year. Uh, yeah. I I don't see that as being out of the realm of possibility that they that they gave him a. Two two year forty million offer maybe two years thirty five, that wouldn't shock me. Uh, yeah, I mean you're right. I'm just dreaming of Deadman and Lopez. That's my that's my dream right there. Has your opinion changed on Vucevic at all going through the playoffs? No, I was already off of Vucevic. I didn't. I don't want. Because it's the amount of money that it would take to get him away from the magic, if it's even possible at all, I'm already out. So I, you know, I think that he struggled. Uh, you know, so I, I, I mean, certainly my opinion didn't change, didn't improve on him on uh, the potential of offering him a max. So I'm still there. Yeah, and I'm the same way. I was never that high on it, on him in the first place, but I think people are overreacting to this playoff matchup a little bit. Because it is just Vucevic's first time having actual meaningful minutes in the playoffs. It's the second time being there. I mm-hmm. forget what team he was on previously in his career when he wasn't playing much. Um, but yeah, I mean, first time getting meaningful minutes, you're going up against a former defense player of the year, Marcus Soul. You can't yeah. blame him that much. So I think that people are overreacting a little bit. I still think that there's a good chance he demands max money. I did see Orlando GMs come out in these exit interviews. And maybe it wasn't GMs, it might have been head coaches, someone associated with the front office saying, pretty much implying that they're going to want Terrence Ross and Vucevic to take a hometown discount a little bit that if they want to stay. Um, hmm. So I, but at the same time, I mean, Terrence Ross is kind of interesting. The defense isn't there, but Vucevic, I, there's max money somewhere else offered for him with him being only 28 and the amount of money that teams are going to have this offseason, I feel like someone is bound to strike out on the bigger names and then go for him. I honestly could see L.A. somehow ending up with him. 
The Lakers? Yeah, but actually even potentially the Clippers a little bit. Yeah, I could definitely see the Lakers kind of feeling like if we can't get, uh, you know, an elite guy to pair with LeBron, all right, we'll we'll offer the max to Vooch. But uh, you could have just kept Brook Lopez, guys. Seriously. <laughs> um, yeah. I, so my cons- it's interesting that we're talking about Vooch here too because I think that Vooch and DeAndre Jordan are the two guys that are most likely to get an offer from the Kings. Yeah. They're – Top of mind uh, for Vlade, uh, for the rest of the front office, it feels like these are the guys. And uh, Jason Anderson talked about this week. Vucevic, uh, Vucevic talked him up. Um, I know Jones confirmed that there is likely to be interest, although he feels that um, Vuce would not actually come here. Uh, you know, not that. It just he doesn't see it working out. I don't want to quote him, but uh, some paraphrasing. But he felt like even though the Kings would want to get him, that Vuce could would probably stay in Orlando, and if he did leave, that Sacramento is not his number one destination. Yeah, which is fine for me. Like we said, I mean, we've laid out our free agents a countless amount of times, and I'm sure we'll do it plenty more during this off season. But, I mean, that was really all I have about DeAndre. I'm just hoping that it doesn't happen, but it seems like it's getting more and more likely. Signs are pointing towards it. Just how you could kind of tell that Jaeger was on his way out, too, from the stories that the media was pushing. So, yeah, I mean, it's something to look out for. Did you want to hop into these player spotlights, power forwards? Maybe you can break down Bagley a little bit? Well, yeah, I think there's a natural uh, transition here into the conversation on Marvin Bagley. And that's the the last point I wanted to bring up about DeAndre Jordan. And it applies to Vucevic on some level as well, is that uh, we've, we've left Bagley and Giles out of the discussion on centers from about a week and a half ago, you know, and it's, it's because it's hard to parse whether you know, where they're going to end up. Are they going to be centers? Are they going to be power forwards? My feeling all along, particularly towards Bagley, very strong. You know, I feel that he's a five and they're to me, you can't, you can't get me off of that idea. And so that's why, you know, Jordan and Vucevic, they're obviously centers. So bringing them in, especially if Vucevic were on a longer term deal, that's really clogging up, the roster, the you know, the roster spot that I feel like Bagley should eventually grow into. Um, so we can talk about Bagley here, but you know, my point, I guess, is that if we're talking about centers of the future for the Kings, I think this conversation really starts and possibly ends with Marvin Bagley. Yeah, I would agree with that. And then I mean, part of the reason also that these guys are in this category is that we had two centers to talk about in Kali Stein and Kufis. And then here, it's almost a little bit more of a lack where, you know, Bagley Giles are kind of a four or five. And then there's Belly also, um, who will be around. But there's a decision, like you're saying, on what this guy plays based on who we bring in. Because Bagley is going to be starting next year. He, for every reason, should be. And it's about, are we going to put a four or five next to him? Yeah. And my feeling is that he's going to start at the four. 
So that's kind of why I lumped him into the power forward position. I mean, obviously he did play power forward more than center this year. Um, I feel like that's a, a growth and strength thing that will change over time. But I mean, to me, you know, I, all right. So the way that I kind of have it broken down and, and I know you've pulled some interesting stats as well. So if you have something you want to jump in on, uh, I just put out here, let's go over his contract real quick. It doesn't really matter with guys that are on rookie scale deals, but he'll be making 8.5 million this upcoming season. Then it, you know, two team options there for one for 2020, 21, which is 9 million around that did some rounding here and one for 2021, 22 at 11.3 million. Obviously, you know, it's high for uh, a rookie contract because he's a number two pick, but this to me, you know, this still feels like the Kings have an advantage here. I can't imagine a scenario in which they're not picking up these options and that he's not recouping this value. Um, and then we could talk about some strengths and weaknesses, but the number one thing that jumped off the page when looking at some of Bagley's numbers here is, uh, you know, he had a true shooting percentage of 56.2 on 24.2 usage. That's fantastic for a rookie. That's an above average true shooting percentage and an above average usage rate. That is a tremendously positive indicator. If you can get that done when you're a rookie, you're going to be a positive player in this league. Yeah. I had a slightly different usage percentage rate than you, probably choosing two different websites, but Mm -hmm. I had four different people on the team that had higher usage rates than him. I don't know if you already know, but I was going to give you a guessing game on who those four might be. Well, first let me get, did you use uh, NBA.com? I didn't. I used uh, cleaning the glass. Okay. Okay. So probably is better for that. Well, NBA.com is the best in my opinion. I used basketball reference, which actually is not super reliable because they estimate possessions. Cleaning the glass is great. They are accurate, though they cut out garbage time. Um, And that can be, I I mean, that's actually generally more accurate. And I mean, at least in terms of what they're actually doing, you know, what a player is actually doing when it matters. So I'm, I'm good to go with that. Um, But what was this usage per, uh, usage rate? I had 22.5%. Yeah, that adds up to me. I could feel like he gets a lot maybe, of touches in garbage time this year. Exactly. Exactly. So you said four guys higher than that? Yeah. One so, of them's uh, a shocker. Three of them are kind of expected. Okay, so I'll guess Fox. Yep. Um, and I'll guess I'll guess Buddy. Yeah, that's another one. Okay, and hmm, and the shocker is a guy that played a lot. Yes, I mean I don't want to say a lot, but he's part of. It's not like a he's small a regular rotation size. guy. Yeah, because actually Frank Mason was also above him, but I didn't include that. So I'll I'll guess Bogdanovich. He is in there, but that's not what I had considered. He's the- not the shocker. No. Okay. Um. I don't want to sit here on a podcast and try to guess the shocker. I'll, I'll throw a name out there. Um, give me Harry Giles. If that's the one. No yeah. way. Yeah. It, but it was like 0.1% higher. But it was just interesting to me that Giles was in that same level of usage rate. It's the way that they run through him. Mm-hmm. 
He pa- he makes a lot of passes. He gets a lot of touches on the floor. Yeah. So, but yeah, like you're saying, I mean, Giles, I mean, Bagley, sorry, starting with him, has an extremely high usage rate, and he does a fairly good job. I mean, he progressed a lot throughout the season. We saw him struggle a lot at the start. I personally was really not enjoying him for the first like two months. It felt like every time that he touched the ball that he was going to go up with it. And that was extremely frustrating. And his assist percentage was not good this year. His assist per game were not very good in general. He's just not really a passer. But I mean, that's not what you Mm -hmm. drafted this guy to do. Um, So he progressed throughout the year. I mean, the shooting got better. The scoring got better. The movement got a little better because it seemed like he meshed a little more. Part of that is maybe playing next to Giles, but it's just a rookie year. I mean, he also didn't get very many minutes. He got out of the top 10 in rookie minutes this season, which is just ridiculous for the number two pick. But at the same time, most of those guys weren't trace chasing a playoff spot. So I think he's coming along, but it just doesn't look as impressive to people that weren't watching the Kings because of the less minutes. It's interesting. I, I, I mean, I would imagine that this is uh, cumulative. These are totals. So I'm guessing his injuries, he's, he missed yeah. a decent chunk of time, couple, a couple uh, short stints with injury that is concerning. But um, I don't know. I, I felt like at least down the end of the season when he was healthy, he was getting plenty of minutes. Yeah. That, that's fair. I just mean kind of throughout the year, like mm-hmm. I feel like the just general narrative around him wasn't the level. And same with like DeAndre Ayton. I think it's probably just because Trey Young and Luka Doncic stole the show. But yeah, I get what you're saying. I mean, he definitely started getting minutes down the year. There was a month where he averaged 28 minutes a game, which is plenty for your rookie, you know. So the minutes were there. It, it just... It definitely was a progression. I mean, the first few months, I got real frustrated with him often. Yeah, that's that's fair. Um, he may not have really earned the minutes. Uh, I mean, I know that's kind of a loaded statement, with, uh, especially with Dave Yeager, who there was concerns that he just didn't, you know, he wanted to play his vets and, and all that. And do rookies need to earn minutes, whatever, whatever. But you know, he, he probably wasn't contributing. Actually, I can say definitively, he wasn't contributing to winning basketball in the first couple of months of his career. Rare, rarely does someone, rarely do any rookies do that. But yeah, and again, to that point, Luka Doncic did uh, right out of the gate and and definitely took, uh, took a lot of the spotlight there. But uh, yeah, I mean, by the end of the, of the season, it felt like a guy like Luka, you know, Trey came on really hot. And then it, it felt like Bagley wasn't that far behind yeah. that, that sort of two-headed dragon there at the top. Yeah, and I mean, the one thing that was pretty on and off was his three-point shooting, I felt like. Sometimes it felt like he was making a lot of them. He never shot necessarily very many of them. But, I mean, towards the end of the year, it felt like he was hitting 50% of his threes, which I know he wasn't, but he was... It, that was just very hit or miss. Interestingly, in the Kings' home games, he shot 27.5% from th- deep. And on the road games, he shot 35.6. Shot amazingly better from deep on the road. Do you think that's anything? Not really. 
Yeah. I mean, it, it's just a random, like, okay, I, I don't know why that would be. I don't think there's necessarily anything to it. I mean, the rest of his stats are all about the same. He, he's not even, he's 0.9 points more. The attempts are still the same. I mean, nothing else stood out like that. You know, I think it was just, it just happened that way this year. I don't think that that's a trend. Yeah, that to me feels like probably a symptom of the sample size. Yeah. You know, he made 30 three-point shots this year. So, you know, depending on how he was feeling that day, whether it be in Sacramento or wherever, um, doesn't feel like a a super significant split. Um, He only hit 31% on the year. And, you know... When I look at that number, it looks low to me based on – obviously, I'm not questioning the validity of it, but based on, you know, I guess the eye test in seeing him, how comfortable he was, and then I am – although I should look it up, I do feel like he finished strong on that part or he at least had that that month there towards the end of the season where he was he was hitting – yeah, in March he shot forty four percent from deep over ten. There you years. go. That's that's hot. Yeah, and and, and, and you know the month before he's at twenty seven percent, and the month before that he was at eleven. Jeez. Yeah, you know I think this is a sample size thing. I I read from Nylon Calculus uh, a report that they did about how many three point attempts are needed before like what's the proper sample size to decide uh when a shooter is actually a sh- if they're a good shooter or not like how can you get what's the sample size that you can make a, a determination about and it was something like 600 three-point attempts which w- is like crazy high but yeah. or no i'm sorry it was, yeah it was something i think it was higher than that i think it was like I, the the reason that i'm using 600 as a benchmark is because when i read it Buddy Heald had not yet qualified for it in his career. So, and he obviously flings it from downtown. So I think according to the top basketball scientists, uh, Buddy Heald only has just recently qualified as a, as officially a good shooter. I think what their point is kind of like, we, we can confirm that Buddy is a 40% three point shooter, 40% plus three point shooter. Like we, it's no longer a fluke. Yeah. And that I understand that, you know, I mean, sometimes people go hot seasons and then just never show it the rest of their career. Uh, mm-hmm. Interestingly, Bagley doesn't shoot them very often. I can't even necessarily think of the last time I saw him shoot a corner three, but he only shot 19% from the corners. Huh. Which again, I don't know if there's anything here. You know, it's rookie numbers, so it's kind of hard to tell, but is to me it's also he's never really posted up in the corner. He's not just standing there in the corner very often. No, he's definitely not. He is you know and and this to me again goes to why he's a center. He is used around the bucket. Like that's where they want it's obvious that they want to get Bagley the ball near the bucket. And you know, I mean it, it, it we can talk about what makes you a center and what doesn't all day but at the end of the at the end of the day it feels like proximity to the basket where your best where you want to be 
played by your head coach. Uh, if it's if you if you want to be played near the basket, you probably should be a center because we don't want two guys down there. Yeah, exactly. And at least just being able to hit that three, you know. So, and I think that Bagley can do that already, and he's just going to get better at it. One and another thing I want to point out that I mean we've talked about a couple times needs to improve throughout the whole team, but it's that free throw percentage. I mean, he obviously can shoot but he didn't even break 70% from the line this year. And I mean, I feel like that's going to come with time, but it definitely needs to. Like that has to be an improvement. With the amount of times that this guy is able to get to the line, he gets fouled insanely often. He needs to hit those at a higher percentage than 70. I mean, what number would you be looking for free throw percentage wise? You know, I don't think that this is a disaster. Um, Obviously you would prefer it be higher, but if you if you if your center and again I'm viewing this through that lens, yeah. but if your center is hitting 75% of his three throw, free throws, that that feels like a a solid. That's a W for me. I mean, if you're if you're even flirting with 80% from that guy, uh, especially a guy that is getting to the free throw line a lot, as you have correctly pointed out. That's a win. I mean, I'll take 30, I'll take, I'm excuse me, I'll take 73, 74%. That's honestly, if you're getting to the line that much, convert around 75%. I'm, I'm happy with that. Yeah. You know, that's fair. I think I have really high expectations for Bagley. <laughs> kind of hard not to with this number two pick and the amount of potential that you see in this guy. So like you're saying, I mean, I, I would be happy with the 75. I, I just feel like, you know, the 69 that he's sitting at is a little on the lower side, but there's a lot that he's doing. So I think it, it'll come. I'm not too worried about it. Like you're saying, uh, interestingly, opposite to Giles, obviously, Bagley did a really good job of not fouling this year. He was in the 91th percentile in how that is recorded in regards to bigs and bigs are, you know, they obviously foul a good amount of rim protecting. And I feel like he wasn't a great rim protector. He wasn't always in position, but usually if you're late to your position, that means you're fouling and he wasn't doing that. You know, I actually feel like to pick up on that last thing you said, I feel like he was protecting the rim well for a center. And I guess this is I mean, you know, for a rookie, and I guess this is relative to expectation. Um, Obviously, he's not looking like Jaron Jackson. You know, he's not on that level. But, I mean, Jaron Jackson was expected to be a a shot blocker from day one. Uh, Whereas Bagley, the narrative was he can't play defense. Um, Or at least that that would be a challenge for him. Uh, in his in possibly throughout his career but hey i mean he led this team in blocks per 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 36 minutes he led this team in i believe blocks per game yeah he did and it's not close my goodness let me just quick quiz it's fun to gamify this podcast a bit who who was number two so bagley put up a block per game yeah who do you think number two was um i want to say giles i mean I don't know, or Kufis somehow. Well, it can't be Kufis, right? I I just feel like he didn't get enough minutes. That's fair. This is a a per game, not per 36. Oh, fuck. He is third by a hair behind Nemanja Bielica. Really? Okay. 
I had, so, I specifically said in my head, no, nah, it's not Bailey. Like, <laughs> but your your point guard should not be number three on that no. list. He should not be above Willie Collinstein. <laughs> my goodness, yeah. I feel like in a backwards way here, we're kind of making a case for DeAndre Jordan because even though his shot blocking has been down, at least he does do it. Um, yeah. Anyway, I, I'll run away from that statement by just saying that. I felt like Badly protected the rim pretty darn well for um, a rookie with his expectations and, and again, relative expectations and, again, relative to the rest of this team, which is very, very poor uh, protecting the rim. So I had no problem with that. Um, and, you know, going just real quick to touch on the, the free throw thing again, don't want to throw it too far in reverse, but I wanted to ask you, um, who do you th- – in terms of per 36 minutes, who do you think got more got to the line more between Bagley or Fox? Uh, I did this research. I want to say it was Fox. What I have here is that Bagley attempted six free throws a game and Fox attempted 5.9. Huh, okay. Which would make Bagley the, the team leader. And, and it's kind of those guys with a bullet um, – you know, by a pretty large margin there. But, you know, even though he's not a great free throw shooter and not a great block artist yet, I mean, these are encouraging signs to me. Yeah. So one thing that did surprise me was the on-off stats with Bagley were a lot worse, really on both sides, minus rebounding and, like you're saying, blocks. But in regards to Points per possession, difference between them on and off the floor. Bagley was the worst with meaningful minutes. I mean, even the closest meaningful minutes, because there were guys that hardly played at all, but Frank Mason was below him and Troy Williams was below him. Well, that's not the names that I want to throw Bagley in with. It was 5.4 points per 100 possessions worse with Bagley on, which was which is a terrible percentage, terrible mm-hmm. amount less. They shot... 2.8% uh 2.8 effective field goal percentage worse with him on the floor. Opponents had four more points per possession per 100 possessions, sorry. They turned it over less with Bagley on the floor and the team shot way less threes and less at the rim. It was a lot of mid-range shooting and mainly a lot of that is because Bagley's taking your shots more when he's on the floor. But I was surprised how much worse number-wise this team was with Bagley on the floor. Yeah, I have a couple of theories on this. What what do you what does that tell you? What are you thinking there? I thought that it was just especially seeing the frequencies that they're taking a lot more mid ranges, less three points is that that's all Bagley that I feel like so much of this is lineups just featuring Bagley that it really is just displaying his stats, his weaknesses a little bit in ways and not necessarily that it's that he makes the team worse. And he was playing with bench lineups more often. That is what I wanted to get to. Because that is what I think this is. Um, yeah, you know, when he first comes on, generally Fox will still be in the game. 
sometimes you know at least you know buddy or bogey will be in the game but generally speaking a, a lot of his minutes came with the second unit and the second unit for this team outside of maybe Marvin and Bogey when he was doing well when he was when he wasn't slumping it was a pretty weak second unit so you know I, I feel like that's what this is speaking to is that when when Bagley was on, it was the Marvin Bagley show. Hey, Rook, go you know beat this 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 team. And when it when Bagley's off, it's let's play team basketball. Let's put our five best guys on the floor. Yeah. So yeah, it makes sense to me. Yeah, and I mean a lot of rookie numbers, and especially like we're talking about this case specifically. There's not too much to look to read into future wise with this. It's just kind of some interesting, interesting things that I noted when I was diving in a little bit, you know, one of the Reddit Q and a questions we have is how many threes per game would you like to see some of these guys shoot? And we can go through that with Bagley right now, right now, Bagley is shooting one and a half a game. Like we said at a 31% clip. Are you, I know you're looking for him at the center position, hopefully next year. Do you feel that number needs to be going up? And if so, how much? I don't feel like it needs to go up a crazy amount. And I think that's why I have him as a center or that that plays into it. If he was going to be the four for this team, uh, starting from day one and going into the future, I would need him to take more threes. And I would need him to get comfortable with that shot. If he's a center, you know, he should still, you know, put it up there occasionally, but I'd be comfortable, you know, and it is going to go up with, if he gets more minutes either way, you know, if he keeps that same, same pace. So, you know, I'd be comfortable. He shot 2.2 threes per 36 last season. If he got up to around two threes off a game, uh, two, three pointers off a game next season, that, that feels just about right to me. Yeah, some other people, I guess mainly looking at centers that are shooting about the same percentage as him. Jokic shoots a slightly worse percentage, and Jokic is shooting 3.4 of them a game. Like you're saying, there's a lot more minutes there for Jokic. He's sitting at 31 minutes a game. And then another one here, uh, where did this go, is like a Thon Maker, who interestingly, I guess he's kind of a stretch four, uh, but he's only shooting 2.4 a game, and it seems like he throws him up. Like you're saying, I don't think it needs to get too much higher, but it'll just nothing that he needs to be taking more, but it's just going to come with the more minutes. Yeah. And then obviously if he starts knocking him down, yeah, you can ratchet that up as well. Well, as kind of an exercise, I, I think we did this for Willie Colley Stein and we did this for um, Kufos as well. I just, just theoretically here, what do you think, you know, I'm trying to get to his worth. Uh, what do you predict his worth to be next season? Um, so we could do, you know, a four-year concept of, of a contract. Like, what would his value be there? But I'm really interested in, in what would, what do you think that, what would you pay him for next year if he was a free agent? I mean, on a one-year deal. I mean, it may not be outrageous to ask if you would pay the max to to keep him, but I, I don't want to make it about retaining him so much as, as what value 
Yeah, his encore value, right? Yeah, exactly. That one season. So 538 has like a Carmelo player projections and they put the projected contract worth, but it's kind of weird with the stats. But just to let you know, the number they had there for next season Bagley was 5.9 million. Um, I would pay higher than that. I think yeah. Bagley is going to be a big role in this. I think that if I'm just signing him one off season, I mean, we're talking about offering DeAndre Jordan 20 million. I'd offer, I'd offer this guy 20 million. I mean, and that's on a higher side, but I would get up to considering that. Yeah. I, 5.9 is way too low. I'm, I, I'm guessing that is probably looking at those on off numbers probably closer than they, they really should be with their rookie. Um, but yeah, you know, 20 million, it's an interesting number to throw out there. I, I think the DeAndre stuff is like, we're, we're not talking about rational actors here. You know, we can talk about what DeAndre Jordan would be, what a correct contract would be for him. And, and we tried to do this with Kali Stein if everyone were rational actors and paid him what his real value is. But as so much, you know, as this comes up so much, we get concerned with, well, someone's going to pay Kali Stein a crazy amount of money, right? But if I was trying to come from it, you know, in a, in a truly realistic perspective, I feel like Bagley will probably start. Um, I think he'll probably be, you know, a, a pretty close to a league average starting, starting big man next year already, which is pretty darn good uh, for a second year player. I, you know, I think in the range of a $15 million value is, is about right. Yeah, you know, we see Patrick Beverly talked about often and the number getting thrown around for him that I feel is pretty fair is about 15. And I feel like contribution wise, I mean, maybe level of impact locker room wise, Beverly's Beverly's a little different, but straight on court value. I think Marvin is a little bit comparable to that level of player. For next yeah, that's interesting. It's tough because we it's so hard not to build future potential into Bagley into this conversation with Bagley. But, um, you know, I think Beverly is probably the, the better player when it comes to winning a basketball game. If, you know, say, say you wanted one of these guys in your lineup for a seven game series, I think it's Beverly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's hard, you know, it's hard to know. I, I think that by the end of next season, Bagley could be looking like a stud. So, yeah, I, I think that uh, as far as his exercise goes, $15 million, um, is good production for him. And I think, uh, you know, if we're going long term, you know, you pay whatever it, it takes to keep him. Yeah. At the end of the day, this is pointless because we have control. Um, you know, the Kings have control over his contract for three more years. So so we have $15 million for Bagley. Do we remember possibly what we had said for Cauley Stein? I think I... Um, Put it at 7.5. All right. We'll go with that, and I'll go back and check for this list later. And then, yeah, we agreed on the minimum for Kufus. All right. So, and then, like you said, I mean, if we're talking a four-year deal, you're throwing – I get whatever it takes, but value-wise, on-core value. You know, at that point, you do have to factor in growth and his age, and at that point – you know, I think that any team in the league would be happy to have him at 480, 490. 
Yeah, for a 20-year-old, yes, please. Yeah. Are you currently paying off student debt, interested in improving your financial literacy, or looking for new ways to earn income in today's ever-changing digital landscape? Well, on the Talk Money with Mesh Lakani podcast, Mesh will follow paper trails, chat with experts, and break down complex ideas to bring clarity to the mystical financial phenomena. Each episode will be filled with compelling stories covering a broad range of subjects, from buying Bitcoin, dealing with student debt, and everything in between. Listen to Talk Money with Mesh Lakani on Spotify or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts and learn how to spend, invest, and earn for today's economy. All right, so another part of this young core that we have that fits into the same big man category as Bagley is Harry Giles. And there's a lot of hype behind this guy. Technically a rookie this year also after being redshirted last year. There's kind of the same question where do you see Harry Giles as a four or a five in the future? This one is tougher for me, but I think there's real potential for Harry to play the four long term. I see him as having, I mean, to, okay, to me what jumps off the page most with Harry Giles is his passing. Yeah. Really and truly. And so, you know, maybe in the King system or, or at least the Dave Yeager system, you, you want a center who can pass and you want to play through that center. Um, but I think generally speaking, fours are more likely to be touching the ball more often and distributing. And, and you know, you at one point had compared Marvin Bagley to Giannis. And I was thinking about this and I don't, I don't quite agree. I don't quite see what you're seeing. Um, but I, I kind of, and I don't see it with Giles either, but I can get there easier with Giles than I can with Bagley because of the versatility um, and he's obviously not the physical specimen that Giannis is, but I just see the skill set being more similar. And if you're going to have a four that isn't a shooter, I, I think Harry Giles could fit that role. Yeah, so to defend my Bagley take real quick, to me the main comparison there is the length and the athleticism, kind of the combination of that where I feel like there's going to be dunking on people just because of that length and having really nice footwork for being that big. Because obviously it's a little crazy to compare some of these guys to what's going to go down. It's one of the greatest players of all time, likely. So, yeah, it's just mainly the length there. But what do you... So you're saying the versatility is what makes you think of Giles a little bit more in that way. It is. Um, I... And maybe this may be colored by viewing him in in the G League. So I, I was able to see um, him, you know, in you know, I was in in the house in Stockton to see him in all those G League games. And obviously, that's a different level of competition. But he was the Giannis of the Stockton Kings this season when he was down there. He was doing it all. Uh, he was. Uh, shooting and this this goes you know this I want to really touch on because I feel like Harry Giles can shoot Um, and I I don't the reason that I'm saying this is I saw it and and I I don't don't know 
you know, I don't know if this was um, part of how he was being brought along and developed and, and, you know, told, listen, just don't don't shoot it just yet. We're not ready for you to develop your shot in NBA games. But he knocked down eight of his 11 three-point attempts there in Stockton. And, yeah, obviously small sample size, but I'm looking at the way the fluidity of the shot, the form of the shot, it's there. He can hit threes. Um, but, yeah, you know, he can shoot. He was initiating the offense. He was coming down the floor, uh, dribbling into handoffs. I mean, yeah. it, it, he was – I mean, he was catching, you know, spot-ups. He, he had a little – a nasty little – step back a long two that was a step a step back long two where he just sent his man uh almost to the floor and just cleared out the space you know he he's so creative he can really score from anywhere on the floor um from what i've seen obviously in the nba he's not being asked to do that just yet but i think it's all there for him um and he's got some he's got the length as well you know i in in my mind and i'm not looking at the measurements and who even cares anyway, measurements are so stupid in the NBA. They're not reliable, but in my mind, Giles has more length than Bagley. I, I know there was jokes about Bagley being short armed. And again, those measurements kind of got to be thrown away. Who even knows how tall these guys are? Is it with shoes? <laughs> Whatever, you know, to Kevin Durant. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, I've yeah. He's the other case where he is seven feet tall, but he claims he's not. Yeah. So, but yeah, I heard jokes about Bagley being short armed, and then I don't really see it when I'm looking at him. And then Giles, to me, he looks shorter than Bagley, but he feels longer. Maybe that's just how he's extending and and the way that he's utilizing his length. But you know, he slides really well. Uh, you know, laterally, I, I see that as something valuable for a four. I can see him defending four as well. Um, you know, he's got a little bit of Kevin Garnett in him. Hmm. Okay, so I had a couple names for you, and they're a little bit uh, optimistic. I guess they're good players in the league. They kind of remind me of him. I was trying to find someone to compare to since it's so difficult. Like you're saying, he's so versatile. And I wanted to get your opinion on which one you seem felt the closest. Uh, one to throw in there because it's just a lower level. I'll just get your opinion on it first. Is how do you feel about a Sabonis comparison? You know, I think that a lot of Harry's upside is in his defending. And uh, I'm not sure, you know, Sabonis doesn't feel like that's his strong suit. It's interesting um, you know, I, I guess Sabonis never his shot. You know, he got better when he stopped shooting from the outside. Yeah, I, I think that it's possible Giles might get better when he starts shooting from the outside. I'm not sure I'm I'm there yet. Yeah. So the other guys I had fit probably a bit better. One that I've seen, I heard Grant say it. I feel like he said it multiple times throughout the year, and I want to say it's Giles, but part of me thinks that it could have been Bagley. Was Chris Webber. And, you know, it's because he's sitting next to Doug Christie, but it's it's the passing is a lot of what he sees there. But that defensive potential reminded me a bit more so of a Marcus Soule early on, or even like an Al Horford a little bit, even though the game's a little different. But those two were the ones that I felt like reminded me of Giles most. I like Horford. 
I like that comp. I do. I I think that uh, Giles has fast hands. He. I don't know if he's ever going to be a block artist, but he. He. I think that he'd be very switchable. I can see him disrupting a lot on defense more than you know more pestering than uh you know just swatting shots into the stands or something like that and both uh, of those guys did not shoot threes in their beginning season some of them took a couple seasons but then have turned into clearly above average three-point shooters yeah you know speaking to the shooting i was all, i also was pretty concerned about Giles's free throw percentage. We talked about this with Bagley. Usually this is a pretty good indicator of being able to shoot from different levels. He is down around 64% for this last season. Um, that's not great. I, I just felt like, I feel like he's going to get there. I feel like he's going to improve on that. I don't want to be too optimistic, but you know, and I guess we don't really have anything to draw from his college experience either. But it just felt he just felt smoother than that when I'm when I'm watching him. And I think a lot of this season is marked by nerves and marked by struggle uh, with foul trouble. And you know, I, I feel like his per game numbers are gonna look weird in a few years when we look back and okay, he played 14 minutes a game for 58 games, you know, these numbers are just, they kind of are going to be outliers, I feel. Yeah, it, it was definitely a crazy development year for him. Obviously, there was the really bad fouling at the beginning of the year. He had trouble even staying on the floor and then took that time in the G League, really got his confidence back up and started to progress pretty well. And then it was sad to not have him available for the last week. Uh, but yeah, he's going to be taking a big jump. If we're if we're looking at the three point question for him as well, is there are you looking for him to take more attempts? To me, I feel like I'm okay if he's not looking for it. I mean, if you're, I don't know, if you're left wide open, there's five seconds left on the shot clock. Sure, uh, but I don't feel like it needs to be Harry. You need to shoot more threes. I want him to shoot more threes. Um, I do. I feel that very strongly. I don't need him to take more shots because I feel like he's almost taking too many shots. But I would like more of them to be threes. I mean, what did he shoot? Yeah, he shot six. He only attempted six threes this year. That should be much higher in the coming years. I mean, to me, that's going to unlock his ability to play the four. And I think that's coming. I I really do. I, I know... We we all want everyone to be able to shoot well. This is 2019. You know what I mean? That's what the NBA is. But I feel like he is going to figure it out there, and it's going to have it's going to have to come with more shots. Um, yeah, I, I want him to shoot more threes. Do you think that that comes from? Because I think the reason that they haven't been there, even if he has a decent stroke. At least part of it has been that he has a side usage rate. He's getting the ball on the elbow, and that's kind of where he's operating from. Would it mean more of him standing at the three-point line waiting for it, or do you see kind of like a pick-and-pop type game? Well, I do feel like he he kind of played that big man, that, that center role when he was on the floor um, this year. 
you know, so I, I don't, I don't really want to see him. He kind of played like the Willie Colley Stein role when Willie Colley Stein wasn't in a lot of the time. And I'm not sure that that's his game. Um, I could see him kind of floating to the corner. You had mentioned, um, you know, Bagley not shooting much from the corner. I could see, you know, Giles just, he moves well and he's, he's a fluid guy and I could absolutely see him, you know, he can float up to the perimeter and if he gets past the ball, he can take a shot or he can dish it. And, uh, you know, again, that's absolutely like that to me is, is what's going to accentuate the best feature of his game, which is the passing. So I think he could kind of roam around, you know, he could really be a guy that can be effective on effective anywhere on the court. Obviously you can't really put him at the top of the key until he's hitting those threes, but I'm absolutely here for corner three attempts for, for Harry Giles next year. And I, I dug this out of um, Twitter because I, I couldn't remember what the date was that I pulled this statistic for him, but conveniently enough, it was on new year's day. So, this tweet is is regarding his his season uh, in the 2018 portion of this season. At that point, so Giles was really struggling at this point with fouling, right? He 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 was he was showing a lot of flashes, but he couldn't stay on the floor. At that point, however, his per 36 numbers were this: 19 points per game, or 19 points. 10 rebounds, four assists, two and a half steals on a per 36 basis. So he never could get anywhere near that because he was fouling out of games in like 20 minutes. I think he, at this point he had like seven or eight fouls per 36, but you know, 19, 10 and four with a cup with a pair of steals is that's the, that's the potential for Harry Giles. And the one that's interesting to me, how do you feel about him as a rebounder? I feel like that he chases the ball well, but I mean, a lot of issues this year, and it's a little bit of the same with Bagley. It's just going to come with time. It's just putting on a little bit of weight, maybe, but not necessarily too much if you're kind of looking at that forward position, even though he's probably a little bit more on the thin side. I mean, how do you feel about Giles as a rebounder? I think you nailed it with the weight thing. Um, and that's obviously going to be a big thing with Bagley going forward. I think both these guys are below average rebounders, but again, you know, they're very young. They're very light. If they can stay healthy and they can, you know, get some full off seasons with an NBA trainer, you know, this is going to, this is going to improve. They're going to get bigger. They're going to get stronger. And, you know, I think that they will get craftier as well. Um, on the boards. Did you say below average rebounders for both of them? I do. Yeah, that's really? that's where I'm at. Yeah. Okay, currently though or future? Currently. Okay, that's fair. Because I feel uh, like yeah. he's going to be elite rebounder in the future. Oh, sure. I mean, okay. he's he's already an above average offensive rebounder. Yeah. I think that right now their defensive rebounding for both yeah. of them is an issue. And I think it really does come down to weight, like, uh, like you said. Yeah, I actually found the same thing. That was interesting that both of them, the offensive rebounds were a lot higher. Um, so Giles, we have two point five million that we'd be giving him next year, and then a team option the next year for about four million. His encore value is higher than that. I feel like that's safe to say. 
how much, if you're talking about one-year value, we put Bagley at 15. We put Cauley Stein at 7.5. I would assume Giles is somewhere in between those two. Yeah, absolutely. For Harry Giles, I think that he's absolutely in you know, in between those two numbers, no question. I'd put him in that ten to twelve million dollar range, which I th- I think basically is the elite elite bench player um, range right there. And some of that is to do with his availability, his health, all that. But I think that what he's going to look like next year is about a ten to twelve million dollar player. I think that there's a a very high upside there. Um, he could end up looking a lot better than that, but I think there's also a very, uh, a pretty low downside, you know, and this goes back to the, the ice packs that we see on his knees every time he hits the bench, you know, there, there are real injury concerns here. Yeah. To me, I would agree generally with the numbers you said. And then, I mean, if I really had to put a range on it, like you said, it, goes a little bit more in both directions. I could see being as low as like a $8 million contract and even playing up to the potential of possibly like a $15 million contract. Sure. Yeah. Um, and if, you know, if it all comes together, yeah, I could even see it higher than that. Um, I mean, that's, he's, a he's really a home run swing and, you know, I, I just think for the, compared to the average player that, the the 90th to 100th percentile is way higher than most and the you know the zero zero to 10th percentile like the the truly worst outcomes are are much worse than than many players as well so yeah i'll I'll stick at 10 million right now and i think that i'm being a little bit miserly with all these numbers but i'll go with 10 million for now so this is a more interesting question than the bagley one partially because of those injury concerns majorly because of that if you're looking at a four-year deal, what type of money are you willing to, I want to say risk almost? Yeah, this is a good question, and it's one that the Kings will have to deal with next offseason, not not this coming summer, but the following one. Is, is it lower than 20? You mean per year? Yeah. Yes. Okay, agreed. Yes. Lower than 15. I feel like that's maybe what it's about at for me. I, man, you know what I would equate it to is the Bogdan Bogdanovich max contract, uh, max extension, which I believe is like 51.2 million. Um, I should double check that. But I mean, I would sign Harry Giles to a four year, $50 million deal right now. Okay. Yeah, that's I, I would not have an issue with that. That's for sure. Well, that comes out to like twelve point five a year. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's and that's a risk. That may be. Yeah. That you had if it was him saying, you know, fifteen or I'm not doing it. Fifteen, or you let him walk. I mean, for the Kings in this context, you sign that deal. You sign that deal because of the fear of what else you're going to do with that money. I think. For me, it's not so much about potential as it is about about like the faith and confidence I have in the Kings organization to sign someone better with that money. But yeah, I think that I I honestly feel like that type of a deal 
is uh, is is fair risk mitigation for both sides. I wouldn't have an issue with that. I'm just glad that we do have at least two more years to see the level of healthiness, the amount of games that he is going to be able to play, and how he progresses. I think that it's inevitable that he's going to be taking big steps soon because he's going to be getting more opportunity as long as he is healthy. That's a big asterisk. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, just the last note on him, I guess, is that we're all the way behind this guy. I know we both love Harry, and I think that everybody in Sacramento does too. Yeah, nothing but great things heard from anyone that interacts with him, yourself included. We had Deuce telling some stories. Great things about Harry. The King's Pulse podcast is now available on the app PodCoin. That is an app where you literally get paid to listen to podcasts. Our podcast is on there. There's plenty of other great content as well. How it works is for regular listening, you earn one PodCoin every 10 minutes. There's bonus podcasts as well that will include the King's Pulse podcast that you earn one and a half pod coins for 10 minutes. And there's also streak listening where you can earn up to two or two and a half per 10 minutes and you can put those pod coins towards gift cards and other prizes as well that have a cash value. Be sure to download PodCoin and listen to our podcast and the rest of the podcasts that are on there as well. The question that we've been answering from Reddit about the three-pointers per game for some of these guys. This question's from Arco Thunder. Didn't say that name yet. We touched on Bagley and Giles. The other one he threw in there was De'Aaron Fox. So just to talk about his three-point percentage, crazy jump. Obviously, 30% rookie year, 37% this year, and he took 2.9 a game. For me, I don't want to see him seeking threes but guys should not be allowed to go under screens for him. So I want to see that 2.9 reach. It, it, give me at least one more a game. I mean, the 37% he's shooting at, the other people shooting around that percentage are taking five a game. Three a game is about the same as him. That's a Lance Stevenson. I mean, that's kind of a little bit of a weird comparison. Reggie Jackson, 5.7. Tatum's taking about four. I, I would be good if he was taking about one more a game. Like I said, it's just I don't feel like people should be allowed to go under screens on him. Yeah. This was actually a question you – or I don't know how we arrived at it. I I think that it may have been a point that I actually brought up when you uh, interviewed me before I joined the podcast. And I said that I wanted him to take five threes a game. Uh, back then and I stick with that Uh, I know that's a big increase but you know to me this is volume is going to be where De'Aaron Fox makes his name as a superstar you know if he can if he can make that jump to a superstar it's it's interesting with all the progression that he made from year one to year two he only took about two and a half more shots per game so you know obviously he's a point guard and he needs to distribute the ball as well but i'm ready to see him be the unquestioned number one guy on this team and you know bring bagley into the starting lineup there i suppose i suppose there's some question i know you've mentioned before him having a chance to be your number one guy i don't need bagley to be my number one guy i think that 
Darren Fox should be the Kings' number one option. I think that he could grow into Lillard light and just be, listen, this is his team. Uh, He's going to fire off the shot when he wants to fire it off. You're going to respect that. You're going to guard him wherever he is on the floor, and you're going to be worried about guarding him, and you're going to struggle to guard him wherever he is on the floor. Um, And then Bagley can just terrorize what remains of the defense and you know he's going to terrorize the the post and uh and and darren fox you know if he's out if he's truly able to make his mark on the perimeter uh then Bagley is just going to be feasting inside and that's i think that's how this works yeah and people really like the john wall comparison i mean a lot it's kind of obvious for the speed and john wall obviously a lot of injuries this last year and the year before but this year in the 30 plus games he played he shot upwards of five threes a game in last year again only 41 games but he shot more than four threes a game it's the same type of situation and honestly fox is a lot better shooter in my opinion so i'm totally with you on i would not mind him throwing up five a game but give me above four is really what i'm at least okay with where I'm not upset. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, yeah, I'm not upset right now. I just, you're just, you're leaving something on the table there. Even if the three point percentage dips down to 35%, you know, take those shots. So next discord question, next Q and a question. This one was from discord. The, do you see, any decline from any of the players coming next year. And this is interesting since we have a lot of young guys and we saw most improved level years from Bagley, uh, from Buddy and Fox, excuse me. I don't know if we see a decline in terms of players getting worse necessarily. I think that maybe you see the number, the name that kind of interested me was maybe do we see Buddy's points per game decrease a little bit but that was just me kind of trying to find something to me there's not going to be a big decline from anyone you know i know we're running a little bit long here but um i think that there's a good logical answer to this question that is the last guy excuse me in the point guard in the point excuse me the power forward uh, position we we don't need to go super in depth on Nemanja Bjelica. We kind of know who he is and what he is, and that's a very nice piece for the Kings. But if there is going to be a regression, it's probably from the oldest guy on the roster, and that's going to be Nemanja Bjelica, unless you know, depending on signings that happen. But he's he's going to be the oldest guy on the roster um, of anyone that is currently under contract for the Kings. So, you know, his game isn't based on athleticism or anything like that. He's not a super old guy, old guy, but you know, he's he's he is on the the wrong side of 30 now, technically just barely, and you know, I wouldn't be surprised if his game drops off a little bit. It wouldn't shock me if he struggled to keep that 40% three-point shot, you know, and again, I'm fishing like just like you were with Buddy. But to look at Darren Fox, Buddy Healed, Marvin Bagley, 
even Harrison Barnes and say these guys, one of these guys is going to fall off doesn't feel right to say about a 26-year-old or younger. Um, and I think that the other caveat here is injuries. So talked about Giles. Talked about Bagley a little bit. I, I don't think it's really possible for him to fall off in his sophomore year, but you know, if you miss a ton of time with injury, you know that counts, I guess. And then Bogdanovich as well, who is, um, you know, has a recurring knee injury and has a lot of miles on his body from playing international ball as well. Yeah, to me, aside from injuries, Bogdanovich to me, I really hope he's going to have a big near big year next year. I feel like he had a few down months this season. Maybe it was due to that injury, but I feel like this whole year wasn't necessarily representative of him. I feel like next year is a little bit of a bounce back year, which doesn't even feel right to say as a third year player. Um, but yeah, the obvious answer probably is belly there, but to me, he'll always have some sort of opportunity. It, comes down to the same sort of thing where where are you trying to play Bagley and Giles and who are you bringing in because if you bring in centers then it's probably likely that Bagley is playing your power forward cutting into Belly's minutes and if you bring in power forwards then that power forward's cutting into Belly's minutes so he does feel like the odd man out here I just feel like he has a place on an NBA roster for being able to shoot like that having a little bit of a versatile offensive game. I mean, not not really, but he can put the ball on the floor and definitely, definitely space. I don't know. This He is the right answer for this. You're right about that. I got a little too excited after his two months of looking like an absolute beast. But, yeah, I mean, I think that that's about all we had for this one was there anything else you wanted to touch on man no i think that um you know i i think that we can roll out of this with i'll give a quick the elitza a quick hitter on him and we can roll out and, and at least feel like we've covered all the big men on this roster going forward um but really you already said it you know i mean he, I, I, the versatility for me is the issue. You know, I, I don't think he's got much of a game other than just drilling threes. And like you said, man, he was unreal for the first few months of the season. And I thought we got such a steal. Oh, I, I think we still do. I, at six point eight million next year, that's that's money in the bank for me. And and honestly, if we don't bring in DeAndre Jordan. If the Kings don't bring in Jordan or Vucevic, I'm totally fine with rolling up Bealitz at four, Bagley at five, because, hey, Bagley's got a shooter next to him on the floor. You know, Bagley's going to be light in the shorts, but, you know, hey, he'll grow and he'll learn and he'll roll with it. And then, you know, you got a big man next to him who is a great basketball mind. He is smart. He is, you know, his activity and his effort is there, even if his, his physical body can't you know, dominate and can't, I mean, he did have that one dunk. Um, oh man. What was that dunk that he, was it on a Luca or some, some like he had some huge dunk that like, I don't ju- remember. 
I, there was some. He had a nasty dunk on. I bet you oh. can type in Bielitsa dunk. It's probably the only one that exists. All right, I'm doing it right now. Jaron Jackson. Oh, Jaron Jackson. Yes, I was because I was there for this game, and he got dunked on by Jaron Jackson like pretty brutally. And then on the next possession, he just did a little in and out dribble, and like went right to the rack and dunked on Jaron Jackson. And it was beautiful, but that is the exception to the rule with Bealit. So that is not what he's, you know, he barely got the ball above the rim on that play. Like, it was a sight to behold, but. Oh, yeah. Like I said, I mean, you type in Bealitza dunk, it's the top five results. I mean, it might be his only dunk. Yeah. Poster dunk, at least. Yeah. I mean, that is a poster. I'd hang that on the wall. <laughs> But you know, I mean, listen. Like, what with what he, with what he can do, he is doing it as good as he can. And he's another guy who just like he may not have the maybe he's not a super long guy, but like he feels long to me because he is his arms are at full extension up above his shoulders, and he does what, what he is what Willie Collison isn't. So I don't know. I'm happy to have him at six point eight. Thrilled. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm good with him getting minutes in the rotation as well. But like you said, we're running a little bit long on this one. That is going to do it for this episode. Um, you will hear from us again in the middle of the week. And give us a follow on social media at Kings underscore Pulse. Rich's Twitter is at Ivanowski NBA. Mine, Brendan's, is at NBA underscore distributor. And we potentially will be doing a giveaway this week as well so keep an eye on the twitter you can find the king's pulse podcast on all major podcast platforms be sure to give us a subscription rate us and give us a follow it helps out on all of those platforms thank you very much for listening everyone For the ones who know that a little late is always too late, and that the clock doesn't stop just because you're missing a part, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, and our KeepStock inventory management solutions help ensure you have the right stuff in the right place at exactly the right time. Visit Granger.com/keepstock to learn more. Granger for the ones who get it done.